welcome to another episode of let's get started today we are in conversation with arvind saraf founder of wishbook arvind is an iit rookie and mit alumnus who chose the unconventional path of moving back and building solutions to solve challenges in india with technology currently he is disrupting the supply and distribution in the textile industry by building a saas enabled marketplace which is bringing a revolution in tier 2 and tier 3 cities Let's talk to him and find out how he's doing it. Okay. Let's get started. Yes. So, uh, can you tell us a bit about Wishbook and what you're trying to achieve with Wishbook? Right. Uh, so, so Wishbook is India's first fashion-focused B2B software and marketplace solution, where fashion lifestyle, if you look at as a category in India, is large, but it's highly fragmented. There are at least 30 lakh, 3 million plus retailers dealing in fashion, and you have 100,000 plus manufacturers and wholesalers. And there's severe information gaps that exist between them, right from product discovery, existence or idea of the complete channel sales, credit credit worthiness of the buyers or the merchants. To, to larger trends and feedback on what's happening in the industry, so that their manufacturer or a wholesaler or a repeat or a repeat retailer can plan their repeat production or purchase, we built a B2B platform, an app-first B2B platform, which provides a set of services to both manufacturers and retailers. A manufacturer can register on this app, upload his product catalog. And can manage his existing channel sales, so he can connect to his existing wholesalers and retailers, set in the trade terms there. Uh, the credit cycle, the credit limit, and share catalog privately with them. Those guys can place orders. They can track the order statuses, the payment statuses. So I can manage my existing channel sales, which is what I do now offline through a bunch of uh, through through all kinds of non-digital medium. Or I can discover new merchants. Or I can have my retailers. Retailers can avail credit uh, through our proprietary credit trading on the platform. And by capturing all of the data on a single platform uh, we give manufacturers a lot more visibility on the channel sales so that they can plan their repeat production inventory liquidation same on the side on the retailers we suggest them what products to stock what products to not stock um, the larger goal is can we make this unorganized fragmented industry compete at a level of efficiency of the organized sector sector which means that they should be able to sell more with less um, at better margins and, and, and lesser lesser inventory got it got it so uh, i'm curious to know uh, why you call this sector as unorganized like what are the three things that you feel were unorganized earlier and you're trying to attack uh, or trying to organize now with the help of fishbook right so I'll, i'll take you to the background of the sector on how how apparel distribution in india works a fashion uh, most of retail but especially fashion retail in india works you have these manufacturing hubs like places like tirpur jaipur ludhiana surat parts of bombay bangalore delhi which make product of a certain type and these have evolved into a hub of a certain type because they they've had complete ecosystem right from manufacturing units to dyeing printing units to make the product of this type now these manufacturers don't directly retail they make the product but they sell to wholesalers across the country wholesalers are aggregators across the country typically in all major districts who then sell to retailers say 100 to 200 km vicinity this is different let's say when you contrast to a mall retail where the brand itself a van huesen or a zara or a viva 
is retailing the products directly to its own or franchisee outlet. In in case of 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 a of a Zara or a Ant, uh, they because the outlet is owned by them or there is, these are franchisee outlets, the information on what's selling, what's not selling, the brand communication goes directly to the customer, and um, uh, and 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 the the manufacturer has visibility on 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 the buying patterns, on the inventory patterns at these outlets. Contrast this with the with the first um, space that I mentioned where. A manufacturer sells to a wholesaler. He has no visibility on what the wholesaler is doing. These wholesalers are not exclusive to the manufacturers. They have multiple suppliers. And the wholesalers themselves sell to retailer, which means that you have different entities and there are very, very clear information silos or gaps that exist between them. If a manufacturer does not know what's retailing, it's hard for him to plan repeat production around it. A retailer does not have visibility on what all the manufacturers are making, then it's hard for a retailer to make a optimized decision on purchase. Again, okay. another example that I would take here is the automobile sector, for example. A Hyundai dealer is exclusive to Hyundai. So even if it's a separate company, Hyundai runs its own software at the dealer, which means which gives Hyundai a better visibility on which spare part or which model is moving for them to sort of replenish inventory or or, or liquidate inventory. Uh, our goal as Wishbook is even if this industry has different entities, can they be running a software and operating system equivalent, which digitizes their entire sales and purchase information uh, across different companies, across manufacturer, wholesaler, and retailer, so that the, 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 the decision making can be more glo- globally optimized? Got it. Got it. So. Uh... What I understand is your your demand is the manufacturers and your supply is the retailers or wholesalers and you are the platform in between who are who, are, who is connecting these uh, demand and supply and helping them grow. So uh, other way around, so demand us demand is a retailer, manufacturers are uh, are the supplier, so and we connect them, but so we connect them on the marketplace, but manufacturers are also our software users as well, so they don't just use it for matching the supply and demand um, or reaching out to new supply, they also use it to manage their existing channel sales as well. So we position ourselves as as both a marketplace and a software approach. In case of a software, the manufacturer or the retailer who is using the software is also our our client as well. Uh, So oftentimes we see with Indian SMEs, giving them new business in the form of a marketplace gets them onto the platform earlier. But once they're onto a platform, they start seeing the value of of uh, higher efficiency by running their existing processes on the software as well. Got it. Okay. Uh, so the manufacturers are using uh, the software to understand, you know, data of inventory and collect patterns from what uh, retailers and wholesalers are using, uh, and also using the marketplace to reach out to these retailers and manufacturers. Right. So manufacturers use marketplace to reach out to new retailers and wholesalers. Market, they also use it to manage their existing channel sales as well. So if I'm already dealing with an existing wholesaler, uh, right now my sales, my communication with the wholesaler happens offline uh, through a bunch of phone calls and WhatsApp, right? The same mm-hmm. communication gets captured onto the application. And now as Wishbook, since we know your complete, um, since all of your uh, transactions are to a single platform, you get a much higher visibility on on your uh, uh, on your channel sales and feedback from the market. So, uh, I would like to understand 
how do you onboard uh, new manufacturers and new retailers or wholesalers on the platform how do you reach out to these manufacturers so interestingly in india um, the the manufacturing hubs are densely concentrated and um, uh, so so i mentioned a few cities which are manufacturing hubs right and even within these locations you would have a four or five square kilometer which maybe have a few thousand manufacturers uh, surat for example within a four square kilometer it has about 55 to uh, 55 to 60 markets textile markets and totally they have more than uh, 18000 plus manufacturers slash large wholesalers feet on the street has worked best for us uh, for onboarding manufacturers from these these dense location we have seen a single executive being able to visit 15 to 20 of such manufacturers on daily basis unlike say corporate sales he gets to meet the decision maker there's a lot more face to face interaction a lot more trust that goes with the face to face interaction and an executive is easily able to onboard 50 to 60 manufacturers monthly the retailer side is a little uh, different because these are geographically all spread out um, right from tier 1 to tier 2 tier 3 cities and uh, <clears throat> so digital a strong referral program has been most effective to onboard them onto the platform but once they are on wishbook a lot more uh, uh, engagement by targeted communication once they've installed the app we use a lot of uh, journey mapping to figure out what stage of journey they could be in and and what kind of intervention or information could help them go ahead in the next step of journey and all of it is digitally integrated inside our app experience so uh, and then we have a small uh, call center which if they come to a point where they are happy to make a transaction but but need certain certain uh, comforts in the form of a, of a human sort of guiding them through or helping them answer the question we have a uh, chat and a and a and a call center which helps them in that in that step great uh, got it so uh, it's been uh, about about 3 years right since uh, you have started wishbook am i am i right so 3 years when we started exploring the early ideas um, two and a half years since we sort of uh, uh, built the product out and started started okay. doing it yeah so uh, it's been about two and a half to 3 years and right. uh, at what stage did you figure out that this is working like the product market fit has been reached uh, yeah. can you tell us a bit about that moment and uh, how did you figure out that you've reached product market fit yeah so i think it's uh, so when you're trying to sort of take a problem and solve it from the first principles based on how well you understand the domain how much you sort of spend time interacting with the with the stakeholders or the people that uh, that uh, whose problem you're trying to solve uh, you have an initial thesis on to on to the on the problem and you have a thesis on on what the initial solution will look like a starting point of sorts right i i think it's 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 may not be a uh, it may not be a wise thing to say that whatever is initial thesis may be the right product market fit but when you're trying to solve a problem it's just, it's the, the only way to achieve a product market fit is to build something out get a feedback from the market and then iterate on it uh, journey towards building a solution from first principles is is hardly ever linear you build something out get a feedback iterate on it in our case i think um, we had a thesis on what uh, and that that's how, that's how it happened with us as well. yeah happened with us as well we had a thesis on what this platform will look like went to the market people loved the product but there was a small uh, catch with the adoption which is that look i'm happy to use it only if my buyers or my retailers or my wholesalers use it this is a feedback that they see from the market 
people love the product people love the idea that it, we completely understood the domain that we're building the solution for but the, the, the adoption was a double side challenge and then we realized that a new business for them a new business to a to a retailer or a or a manufacturer gets gives that hook for them to at least come onto the platform and that's where we realized to add the marketplace uh, piece as well so i think i think from a data perspective you know your system or solution is approaching when uh, you build something out and it starts growing without you having to spend a lot into marketing or or uh, without spending in any bit onto marketing and that journey that stage happened for us say about 5 to 6 months ago when the growth was fast without practically any marketing spend a bigger validation happens when you sometimes hesitant hesitantly start to monetize it out and you realize that people are happy to pay a, a premium for your uh, for your uh, for your uh, platform so when retailers started paying us a a good margin or a commission we were a little hesitant but when they were happy to pay uh, we also then realized that we are actually delivering value uh, which they see in value as well which is the cn value as well but it's it's uh, so the point is it's it's good to start off with a thesis and uh, until one builds something out and gets a feedback it's hard to uh, I, i think it's unfair to expect that you fit is there but listen to the feedback from the market iterate on it get to a point where the growth is happening and and i tell you get to that point while still monetizing or, or when you try to monetize and you see that the growth doesn't drop that's when you have a confidence that this is ready to scale got it that's that's wonderful it worked uh, in in an in an organic fashion for you that uh, you developed something you got great feedback and uh, you also started monetizing it although hesitantly which is what i would like to touch upon next uh, why was there a hesitation to monetize test monetization loop for this uh, product i mean uh, generally founders in india especially uh, have this have this inhibition towards you know if if we ask if we start charging money for what value we are offering people might go away so i'm right. sure that thought process you also went through so what kind of motivated you to start uh, checking uh, if people will like to pay for this and how did it work out for you right so two parts so i think when you look at the product in our case so we have two different monetization models in in, in our offering right so there are some software services which are subscription based and then there are uh, there is the marketplace which is transaction based our learning has been especially when you're targeting indian smes a transaction based monetization is slightly easier to push through people don't paying mind paying if they are getting additional business and the the payment is linked as a percentage of the additional business a more subscription based structure is slightly harder to monetize you want to you want the merchants to see a very clear demonstrated value before you get the confidence to monetize so so i'll i'll just clarify that on the transaction piece we have started monetizing on the software piece we haven't yet started i think there is a lot more behavior change that needs to happen and we are still 6 6 months at, uh, at least 6 months away from monetizing at least not in this financial year now the other question to ask as a platform or as a as a solution what's your core offering and where would you want to invest your resources unfortunately a lot of uh, uh, solutions in india platforms in india have been pure play marketplaces and there somehow the thesis has evolved to a point where uh, look you want to give people freebies for them to adopt an 
adopt your platform and start using it. We were very clear that for us, the strength comes from marketplace working with the software services. And if we had to spend money to get the customers to adopt the marketplace, then the software services were not generating that positive feedback flow from the marketplace. So we made a very conscious uh, decision. Look, let the marketplace be profitable by itself. That will force us to make sure the other pieces are generating value for merchants to stay and 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 for them being able for them being willing to pay that additional premium. Got it. So uh, that's an interesting point you made that uh, unlike other marketplaces who are raising capital and burning a lot of cash to grow the marketplace uh, they are developing, uh, you took a conscious call to not do that in Wishbook's case, which is which is uh, an interesting insight. And uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners out there would be happy to know how did it actually evolve. I mean, you already told us that one was the referral. Uh, that helped it grow, helped the marketplace grow, uh, helped people come onto the marketplace. Was there any other channel of growth uh, that helped you not burn cash yet uh, let the marketplace model work? So it helps to understand the category well. It helps to curate the offering well. Um, make sure that the choices, the product catalog that you have are curated, are high quality. Um, in our case, us, me having spent seven years in this industry, having a team which understood this category, starting from a manufacturing hub like Surat, helped get the seller selection curation right compared to any other platform which may or may not understand the category as well or definitely does not have the deep roots in the category the way we did. The app experience also becomes important. If users find terminology which matches what they use offline, if the business straight terms, the principles of use are similar to how they transact offline, it's easier for them to use the app. Third part, which is which I think the industry has evolved uh, quite a bit as well, is thinking through user journeys, having targeted communication to the user in every step of the journey, uh, giving him strong data analytics-based recommendation. Uh, these things have helped us optimize both the experience and the conversion funnel. Just to give you another data point, so out of, out of 50,000 monthly active users right now, about uh, 4,000 plus transact on a monthly basis, which means we have an 8% plus conversion of our users coming onto an application. And that just optimizes our experiences, our return and RTU numbers, because we do the select curation right, our return and RTU numbers are way lower than industry. And these things have led to a positive experience, which which makes the merchants come back uh, without us having to, uh, without for, for benefits beyond discounting. That's wonderful. I mean, uh, this kind of conversion rate and your understanding of the user, the user journey and user story, which help you build a good user experience. I'm, I'm very uh, happy to hear a study of one of the marketplaces doing really well and uh, has figured out a good way to kind of make it positive, cash flow positive and keep the users happy and, you know, make the business and the you, customers both work together without too much capital, without being too much capital. So, so, again, again, it's like disclaimer. So the marketplace itself is cash uh, with its transaction contribution margin three positive, but there are fixed costs which are going into other parts of the platform, which we are still sort of. So, so I mean, there is a, there's still an investment that keeps going into the company, but yes, it was, uh, the marketplace itself has largely been, uh, has become cash flow positive for us. 
Great, great. Um, another thing that you mentioned uh, is uh, uh, having understanding of the of the domain is also very important when you're trying to build a, a business or let's say a marketplace for that. So, for you, uh, going back, uh, can you help us understand how did you get the domain understanding of this? Uh, uh, how did you get domain understanding in this field? Yeah. So my family comes from an apparel business background. So even though I spent my growing up years being much more academically inclined, pursuing my further studies, uh, 15 years ago when I wanted to come back to India, uh, when I was a student uh, at MIT, I got very excited by the idea of building tech-enabled solutions for emerging markets, came back to India. Uh, worked at Google for a few years, did the healthcare social venture. But when I was moving out of my first venture, I would, even in that time frame, whenever I visited my family in Surat, I could see the challenges that they faced in running uh, such a business. And, and, and I could probably apply a little bit of a corporate exposure uh, background to see that perhaps a platform where I could capture all the data and do decision making based on data can make uh, business like like this and other literally lacks of businesses be a lot more efficient. So that was the initial seeding of the of the idea or the solution, the problem and the solution. Um, when I was moving out of my first startup, obviously I wanted to. I mean, I wanted to pursue this idea. Uh, moved to Surat, spent about uh, four years immersing myself in this traditional sari business. Uh, and that and those four years made me an industry insider, made me understand what the processes are, the problems that I initially started off with evolved to a point where I was myself facing some of these problems, challenges, and and then understanding itself evolved a lot more to 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 building a solution around uh, what we did later. So in my case, being coming into the sector, moving to the location, moving into the textile uh, or or apparel production hub, spending a few years running a business here uh, or being part of a of a business worked for me to help understand the domain my uh, my evolution then moved from i evolved from being somebody who would have been thought of as an outsider to somebody who gets the domain inside out and can speak the language of the local uh, of the traditional merchants and 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 so onboard them a lot more effectively okay yeah, yeah. so um now that uh, you've got a little bit more of domain understanding, when did you feel the most confident to develop this platform and go ahead with this marketplace solution and software solution? So I think, so the initial thesis around building a tech-enabled solution was there when I moved to Surat, and uh, this was 2000, this was 2012 itself, so long time ago. Uh, the process of immersion and then stepping out itself took a little longer. So even when I was running um, part of Tiveni Sari's uh, traditional family health uh, uh, company, there was continuous itch for me to build a tech-enabled solution to what, I mean, similar to what what I do now, similar to Wishbook now. It just took me some time to say, look, now whatever I've done in Triveni can run without my intervention and I can divert my energy or focus my energy back. On, on to building wishbook so uh, so it's not as if there was there was a single um, moment where you felt now i can build uh, something around it uh, the the immersion obviously evolved that idea evolved the starting point but 
for me it was also about freeing up in a bandwidth and making sure whatever i've done at triveni or my or my uh, my family's business making sure it stays and continues to work and without my intervention to be able to jump in i think there was one specific point where uh, when i started working on the marketing and the sales part of of uh, of triveni uh, where i could see that look my communication with my buyers i had no source of truth on which catalog i've shared with them what are their orders which orders are getting dispatched and we were still struggling with basic communication on phones and a little bit on whatsapp and that <clears throat> to me was a starting point and maybe perhaps instead of a business dashboard we could now capture it this was probably after a year and year and a half of of uh, of a uh, couple of years of running the traditional brand where we said maybe perhaps this is a good starting point to digitize the transaction itself right and um, uh some prototypes that we did with an app a got a feedback from 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 the from the other members of the family who were running the business my older brother for example or from from the market uh gave us a strong feedback when when you see their eyes when you see your prospective customers eyes light up with the idea of a prototype of a solution you know that perhaps yeah this this has this has a longer life uh, to and and deserves a lot more attention and then it was a matter wow. of Uh, freeing up your bandwidth time to make sure now that you can you want to sort of take the solution forward in a much more focused manner uh, yeah nice that's that's wonderful so uh, arvind when you look back at these two and a half years of uh, journey at wishbook can you think of any incident from work uh, that inspired you the most uh, i think the first validation was when we had a thesis on on a channel sales platform Uh, and this was even before we really started putting energy into it uh, and and uh, talk to some family members and or talk to some other potential users in the market and you could see like yeah this this maybe this might might solve some of the problems that they were facing uh, other other things interestingly have been more uh, not a single incident but i'm still for example on an l2 escalation with my customers so uh, especially on the marketplace customers if uh, apart from the general customer support team and support lead uh, the next level of escalation is me and i deliberately deliberately prefer to uh, at least keep it that way because it gives me a lot of feedback from the customers and when you talk to customers and you see customers valuing your catalog valuing your uh, price points that again is a strong validation inspiration in some sense for us to continue on to our journey uh, of of building wishbook out they obviously give some feedback about something else that should improve and you obviously want to hear them out from them but but them being participative in our uh, journey in in the process of what we're building much sometimes a lot more enthusiastically than than uh, uh, many others gives us that strong uh, motivation to continue uh, doing what we're doing or fixing what may not be right uh, in the product itself at times So, so is there any particular L2 escalation that you uh, remember that kind of opened your eyes a lot, or you know that moved your ground, or that uh, made you happy? Uh, so, I think <laughs> some of these have resulted in good product feedbacks. There were escalations where uh, people suggested a search, for example, where they want to be able to search by product ID, or or people wanted to be able to get their site up and running. Uh, or people wanted to create their own uh, digital presence and ask if wishbook could help with that or 
on the manufacturer side when we approach you know, software solutions people ex express some concerns around around data and privacy which which then we went back and brought into the solution or or when they talked about their workflow and managing their inventory and managing the their wholesale uh, wholesale channels and inventory across uh, across the channels i think every data point that we receive every input that we receive is actually an in, is an input into the product which we then try to rationalize try to sort of make it a, comp, a, a structured part of the solution itself these have all been feedback from the customers that have somewhere gone into our product and experience customers could be the retailers or customers on the software side could be the manufacturers as well sure uh, nice so a lot of uh, product features have been uh, developed out yes. of customer needs <laughs> yes yes and they they also definitely give a lot of feedback on what is important and what is not uh, when you see customers five of them vehemently vouching and saying ki ye to bana ke do then you know that this is this is a much higher priority when you and when you see somebody saying something and then logically you rationalize and say perhaps uh, not as critical can be done by something else or can be done to a different approach then you could push it slightly low in the priority so feedback uh, validation feedback does give a lot of uh, prioritization on our on our product roadmap awesome and that's the organic way to build a product as we hear from a lot of entrepreneurs out there <laughs> right right so entrepreneurs will have a certain world view on what the industry would look like what kind of things you should be doing what kind of features perhaps that could be there in the product and that's a starting point but you know as a as a as a organization you can't be doing it at all you can't be doing it all because you don't have infinite resources you also know that building a product with a lot of features lot of use cases makes it complex and tricky and difficult to use and and the customer feedback helps rationalize that out and also sort of maybe rethink some of the things that the entrepreneur or the or the company may have missed early on right right so i'm curious now at this point uh, after you have grown wishbook uh, for about two and a half years three years now uh, what are the challenges that you are facing currently and is there anything that the listeners out there can help you with so i think uh, the industry that we set out to work is traditionally been is is it's large old traditional and ha and have certain entrenched behaviors right they have seen businesses being done a certain way they would have not seen structured approach to information sharing at least on the digital sales side they now are getting to a point where they realize the need and efficient need of it they realize the need to be able to do more with less but changing behaviors takes time and that's 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 fundamentally is also where the opportunity lies fundamentally is a problem that we have taken up so the challenge exists and that's part of uh, part of the problem that we have taken up we also sort of uh, have not yet seen an emerging market platform based solutions domain aware platform based solutions come out of india just yet especially solutions which target an sme dominated industry and uh, that's also that's also a challenge that we have faced in the past especially from a larger ecosystem perspective not just not just our users but if you talk to a prospective investor prospective uh outsider outsider consultant talent pool they would have not seen an sme dominated platform sme focused platform beyond uh, which combines software and uh, marketplaces uh, come up yet so that's those are challenges that we've seen and i think uh, uh, luckily i think there are solutions that have started coming out outside of india uh, which have demonstrated these models uh, and uh, and we do look up to them as well into into what we and then they help us understand or they help others understand uh, that solutions of solutions of these types have come up uh, can you name a few of these solutions that inspire you uh, outside of india or outside of the industry 
Yeah. So I think I think as entrepreneurs, the, the inspiration and the hope. Obviously, you start off with you don't look for outside for a for a validation, but yes, you need some of these solutions to tell. So entrepreneurs obviously would be irrationally biased, irrationally optimistic, and that's 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 you need that to go through all the highs and lows. But having some solutions externally will probably help demonstrate a viewpoint to somebody else who may or may not share your exuberance, and that. I mean, one solution that that has emerged in Southeast Asia is Zilingo, which again combines uh, a set of manufacturer services, retailer services with a B two B B two C marketplace platform. So yeah, I think at least when I when I pitch to somebody or when I talk to somebody, it's uh, apart from talking about what we are trying to do. I think there's good to have a few names and say, look, if you're not sure if something like this will work, here is an example that's working outside of India, and we are not too far away. Wow, Zilingo, right? Yeah. So, so are you? Have you raised any capital, or are you planning to raise any capital in future? Yes, yeah, so we raised a, a seed round uh, uh, with InfoEdge. Uh, InfoEdge is also the owner of Nokri and a few other internet uh, major portals. Uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, the, the the seed capital helped build the product out, build the marketplace out, get the initial traction in, and. Uh, uh, we are at a stage where in a in a few months from now we'd be looking at a series a race uh, series a race largely to expand our uh, category base going uh, to the larger lifestyle category beyond beyond go beyond two manufacturing hubs to six other locations as a sourcing and manufacturing hubs for india get a lot more uh, traction with our software services uh, strengthen our credit offering strengthen our business dashboard so we would look at a series a race in a few months from now Awesome! Uh, all the very best for that, and uh, all the all the listeners out there who are VCs or into investment, please definitely get in touch with uh, Arvind uh, uh, if this opportunity interests you. And uh, yeah, uh, now we'd like to switch gears and move to a more personal journey as an entrepreneur and as as Arvind in your own skin. <laughs> Yeah. So sure. interestingly, I've seen like uh, people who move out of India for education. Uh, a, a large part of them do not come back to India. Uh, what would be your viewpoint on that? Since I feel you have followed the unconventional path of coming back to India with all the knowledge that you've gained uh, in the states. So I think it's an individual choice to make. Uh, in my case, when I was a student at MIT and. Uh, I got very excited and interested in the idea of building a tech-enabled solution to emerging market. Um, while I, I was doing a deep tech research at MIT, I was doing a lot of microprocessor design and work there. Campus-based groups were exploring using and applying technology for emerging market solutions, and those things interested me. And uh, this was 2004-5. I remember visiting India for a summer of uh, of holidays for a summer break, and Mobile phones are just about. When I left India in 2001, uh, mobile phones were a luxury. When I came back to India, they've become commonplace. Even auto wallas are carrying mobile phones. You could start seeing the power of uh, power that having these computing or communicating devices in handhelds and in the hands of people, and what you could do with it. Uh, and uh, and and it was there was this sense or exuberance that this is the time when. when internet enabled solutions uh, communication enabled solutions can start impacting life can help bridge the communication gap and that was time frame and i wanted to be part of the journey which is when i moved back google was setting up its india engineering then they had just set up india engineering and i joined in google as an intern 
to test out the waters about uh, working in India before before moving back full time. So I think it's an individual choice. I know uh, I have a lot of friends who are staying who are still back in the US. They're doing fantastic work in the US at the cutting edge front and the research side. And there's some of us who have moved back. So uh, yeah, very individual call to make. But uh, but yes, there are. I think unlike say early 2000s or late 90s when there were uh, limited opportunities in India, India right now has capital, has market sizes now well recognized for people to come back and build solutions here, unlike say, unlike uh, a decade ago probably. So it's a good time to be in India. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, it is. And um, so would it be fair to say that your choice of moving back was uh, motivated by the emer- emerging technology, the immersion of technology into uh, common populations hands at that point of time yes yes so uh, well i'd seen a space where we were doing cutting edge technology work which would have come into industry 10 15 20 years down the line um, i was also looking for using technology for a more immediate um, uh, benefit to people uh, a more in immediate or instant gratification, if I may say, and and I could see that scope of with uh, with uh, building, say, Indian market-specific solutions or emerging market-specific solutions with technology uh, back in India, and that that interest has been also driving all the career choices, all the other ventures that I've set up or I've done after coming back to India. Yeah, talking about ventures that you've set up after coming back to India. So your first venture was Swast India, right, am I right? Right. So how did you come up with the idea of developing uh, Swast India, and uh, how did you go about it? So 2008, uh, after I think two and a half years of working at Google, we, uh, I, I think so we were these 28, 29 year olds. So the three of us who started it, I and two of my classmates from uh, uh, from IIT. I, I think Sandeep, uh, uh, one of my co-founders, had worked a little bit on healthcare at McKinsey and he was aware he had some understanding of healthcare. I was looking at moving out and focusing more on India specific solutions and I was looking at technology in health and education. We started talking and uh, some of the initial thesis that we had plus the technology play led us to what uh, what we uh, did later as West India. Uh, the, the the problem and was largely that, that we wanted to address it. Look, India has a large underserved uh, a problem a large population which is still not yet served by healthcare services and you have a set of healthcare practitioners who don't have enough demand could we come up with a financing instrument which help the unmet demand go to the uh, spare supply the uh, the surplus supply and uh, that took the form of Initially, in the form of a healthcare financing instrument, working with various non-profits and governments to deploy them, eventually running our own clinics. Right. Um, okay. Swast, interestingly, was one of the first sort of data-backed companies uh, when we started investing. That's wonderful. And uh, uh, and then uh, you worked with worked on Swast, growing Swast India uh, for quite some time, and uh, we, then after that, uh, you exited. Uh, uh, from South India, right? Um, so, as as a person who has had one successful venture, uh, after after you were done with the exit of South India, how did you spend your time, and 
uh, what what was going on in your mind immediately after the exit? Yeah. So I think which first I would clarify. So we we've taken up we're taking up a very ambitious problem of making healthcare accessible and affordable to people. I think somewhere in the journey we realized that um, and this was a humbling journey, you realize that look, these are real large problems which governments are struggling to solve. It cannot be solved as a business model very quickly. So by the time I had left, a lot of work of SWAST was being done as a non-profit, as an NGO, uh, which is which is around the time when I moved out. So I would say, would, would it be in a, in a more startup-ish manner, uh, a successful exit? I'm not so sure, but definitely a lot of learnings and a lot of great work that we did in the process. So by that time, also, I began to understand and appreciate the role of SMEs. That journey took me uh, to from a point of looking at purely non-profits as a way to create impact to also I began to appreciate the role of small medium enterprises in the Indian ecosystem, um, the contribution that they make to the larger larger economic growth and uh, and the need for them to be, be a lot more efficient in, in that journey itself. And that helped, that led me to, uh, to to starting to spend more time in the apparel business sector and the challenges that it faced because it had the classic patterns of the SME challenges with 30 million plus retailers, 30, 30 lakh plus retailers and all struggling with various forms of information gap. Right. So uh, 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 a lot of people have their own uh, interests. And for you, I think if it's fair for me to say it was more like building on to next challenge. Uh, right. Um, right. Uh, for others, it might be like, okay, go traveling or get into angel investment or something like that. <laughs> for you, it was like, okay, one problem I tried to solve, now I want to solve another problem. So you're being practically a problem. Problem solving uh, motivates you a lot inherently, right? <laughs> right, right. Harder things to solve, things that are outside my outside of my comfort zone at times, they motivate me. They they. I like to push myself out of comfort zone, sometimes a little too much for uh, for the comfort of people around me. But yeah, getting out of comfort zone. Sure. Is there any yeah. incident that comes to your mind which made other people comfortable while you were trying to push yourself a bit? No, there, there are times when you do question when um, the pragmatism of it all, uh, as opposed to saying that, look, I could have been a top researcher in the US or I could have had a lot more safer uh, should I say safer or a lot more relaxed, uh, comfortable corporate life? Uh, uh, not everyone may not share uh, uh, share uh, your passion or motivation, and sometimes people around you need a lot more uh, deserve to have a lot more of your time than an entrepreneurial journey might give. But yeah, right. Okay, I, I understand. So, mm. what's your current uh, daily routine like, Arvind? Hmm. Just I'd like to start my day early, and this is this is back from my I think high school days as well. So typically engineers are known to sleep late and and wake up late and get most of the productive time productive time in the in the night. In my case, it's always been early morning. So I try to start my day early, uh, uh, get some quiet work done before the hustle bustle of day takes over. Uh, uh, even even at home, maybe go for a swim as well. Just to sort of give myself some some physical activity. I'm in office usually by 9:30. Typically work till late. After I come back, it's a little bit of family time, a little bit of maybe reading, and and I like to call it a day fairly early, fairly fairly early as well. So by 9, 11ish, I'm back in bed usually. 
Yeah. So uh, when are you back from office usually? Just late, nine-ish at night. <laughs> time. Usually. Okay. Yeah. And go for a swim in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Nice. So you do have a physical activity in your routine, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I, after a certain age, you realize you you're not a 25 year old anymore, and you can't. Uh, you need to. Uh, you need even some physical activity to be performing at your uh, your uh, best throughout the day as well. In in your case, I'm curious to know what made you realize this because a lot of people don't know the importance of health, and it would really help a lot. to get your views on that no i think uh, i'm not sure if i do a good balance so with, with that disclaimer but uh, but i think i i i could see i'm a workaholic it's i could see see for me to get involved into work and forget everything else but after a certain age and stage you realize that your your maybe productivity at work is not may not be your best if you're not necessarily in shape if you start getting tired easily if you're not being alert enough and that's a point at least for me that was a point where the discipline about physical activity became became important uh no point in spending 12 or 13 or 14 hours at work or if uh, uh, if you're not 100% there or or if not 100% at least if a physical activity can take you from a 60% to a 80 90 100% the the productivity gain itself makes up for it wonderful and, uh, yeah when i when a point where you start realizing that as 24 25 or even 30 year old you could do night outs and still be awake or or, or alert at 100% uh, to a point uh, of realization that look i need to be be optimally uh, performing uh, or optimally uh, at, at the best of my performance at work i, I think uh, requires certain level of physical fitness great uh, and i'm happy to hear that you are investing some time into that um, nice that's that's wonderful and uh, other than other than uh, reading or swimming do you have any other hobbies or passions outside of work i like traveling i like uh, so thought of late but um, earlier i would even take a day off and just sort of go to a new place Uh, and then come back even if it's for a day or a weekend i'd like traveling uh, i i like things which are which can take my mind off work and into a, a different world of ideas so like going to literature fest for example even if it's for a day or two so jlf jaipur literature festival is a is an annual um, a day or two of break i take every year uh, yeah so some of these interests the world of ideas does interest and uh, excite me um, and i look forward to that as a break at times awesome do you have any productivity hacks or tools that help you you know uh, be really productive at work uh, since yeah. it's a very busy life being an entrepreneur and yeah. managing professional and personal life uh, yeah. are there any productivity tools or hacks that uh, help you a lot to do list help me a lot so i try to so whenever i'm baffled and i have a lot of things to do i try to sort of use pen and paper list the activities out if it's seemingly complex activity i try to split it into smaller steps and simply the next steps become clearer and, I, and my goal is typically that apart from the usual sort of wilderness of uh, uh things happening around i try to clear off a few uh, items from my to do list uh, as well calendar helps calendar helps me sort of uh, plan my uh, uh, i even put my deadlines on my calendar if something needs to be done by a specific time 
time a day and uh, writing also helps writing is almost an extension of to do list if there is a complex task sometimes i just switch off or move away from my laptop use pen and paper and start sort of breaking it breaking it out as well yeah having say trying to accomplish three four major things in a day apart from apart from handling people managing people or doing troubleshooting uh, is i think important because it's easy to have your day getting lost into into the operational pieces and uh, but uh, the to do list help you sort of step back and look at the larger picture beyond beyond uh, firefighting itself got it got it yeah. wonderful um so have you had any mentors in life to guide you along this whole entrepreneurial journey yeah so i think uh, some of these uh, there's some people who have been very very helpful and their thought their thoughts and ideas have uh, uh, even if they didn't didn't mention in a in the specific context of entrepreneurship or they mentioned in different contexts i think they definitely uh, and when i uh, as i've grown older i reflect back and i can see them um uh, those ideas have stuck in some sense with me or partly stuck with me so i think for example my at mit my professor advisor uh, professor anand anand agarwal very the impressive cv and lot of great things that he had done i remember him saying uh, when we were exploring the larger research problems about saying that it's okay to not have to know it's you know you want to get from a point x to point y it's okay to not know the straight road to get there but as long as you're moving in the direction it's okay as long as you sort of keep a focus on the goal goal right and 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 especially in research when you're taking a long term extended uh timeline you don't necessarily know how you're going to sort of build a solution as long as you know it's maybe this might fix and get you closer to the source and you iterate on it you you build on that learning it's okay it gives you that initial action point right and i think that's that's true about entrepreneurship as well you don't you know you want to build a specific solution now it doesn't mean that you will have a complete vision of what the solution will be say two or three years down the line it's foolish to sometimes think that but you build something out you know it's closer to that solution learn from the data point that it gives and then start building out so professor uh, agarwal's anand uh, professor anand agarwal's some of these uh, uh, things that he would said anecdotally have been helpful i've learned a lot from my uh, from my co-founders in the past from from people in the business in the past from some of the mentors or advisors or investors that we have had uh, people that i connect with people that i can call up at any point of time and get input so those those uh, i've been fortunate enough to be exposed to a lot of people through through either my iit or mit or google network and those people have been uh, immensely helpful either uh, with with the various business problems that i face it's difficult for me to name a specific person here but but that network is very very important for a for a for an entrepreneur or for a founder especially when you're a single founder company like we are right so you're saying that uh, the peer group itself has been really uh, yes helpful yeah having at least a few nice. people that you can call up any time and say you and they understand you they understand your strengths and weaknesses they can if required they can bluntly say it in even the you should be you're missing out this part uh, and yet not you not being offended is very important to get that get that feedback you know getting people who can give you that feedback yes uh, that's that's i'm so happy that you have that peer group and there's few people who who can always listen to you without judgment and understand your strengths and weaknesses as you said uh, to help you give that feedback you require at that point of time <laughs> uh, arvin what motivates you you know whenever the, there are these tough times and low phases in life 
especially as an entrepreneur what are your sources of motivation uh, apart from these friends uh, that get you going yeah so i think i've um, i've always been an overly optimistic person so even if you have these so and, and i think maybe because it's, i've been at an entrepreneurial journey for 11 years i think there's a certain evolution that have that has happened i remember first company me having a meeting where which was which went positive would make you feel like you conquered the world and and a meeting that was not so positive will maybe make keep me low for a day or two or will keep me will make me sort of feeling low for a couple of days to a point where you become a lot more equanimous with with to the feedback you hear the feedback out maybe and i would not deny it, if there's a negative feedback or if it's not so positive feedback there are a few minutes where you feel low but then you then get back to the grind of doing things i've learned to not overthink or over analyze a few things uh, especially negatively over analyze a few things if something is bothering me if something is uh, is has a potential to make me feel low i would rather step back step back from the specific problem take another problem or take that problem itself and split it into smaller tasks and then when you start addressing each of these smaller sort of sub tasks or problems or issues you then realize that maybe it's not it did not it's not as complex as it seemed from a distance so splitting that specific problem into smaller tasks as opposed to thinking at about it at a meta level or even for a few minutes for a few hours moving to a different task and keeping at it helps helps get over these uh, get over these potentially doubtful phases or stages itself wow that's beautiful arvin like uh, overthinking is something a lot of us millennials face <laughs> But, mm-hmm. yeah uh, i wish we we find uh, uh, so i think overthinking at the meta level kya whether i'm doing it right wrong is a little uh, it's it's easier it's probably better to take a specific problem and then get to the specifics of it in terms of thinking but overthinking without a context uh, can be immensely negative and discouraging and that's usually not very productive as well it's definitely not productive <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, yeah yeah coming out of that loop is a bit difficult but hopefully we'll get there <laughs> yeah i think i think i think uh, in my case i've seen that evolution of journey a lot more over the last uh, 10 years in fact there are times when i would question if i am not thinking hard enough about a specific feedback and am i taking it too lightly itself so it's a it's a reverse correction loop at correction loop at times as well yeah uh, arvind you also mentioned that you read am i right yeah yeah, yeah. what are the top not as much as i would not as yeah, much uh, as i would like to uh, but mm-hmm. now at least the the, the sequence has come down but yeah what are the top yeah, two the, books that i've read yeah the top two books that have created uh, the most impact in your life so uh when i was in college in my final year i was um, gifted a book by bill gates i think i remember the, the book was called road ahead uh, by my sister and i think this is the first book where um, which talked about what the world can be with technology in future and for me this was fairly enlightening in terms of being able to think beyond beyond technology and what technology can do in future i've also been very critical self critical person and i remember uh, in us i'd come across herman hesse's siddhartha and uh, if anything it sort of taught me to be a little less self critical about myself uh off late i've been reading a little bit about entrepreneurship 
uh, some books on China and how in entrepreneurship happened in, in China. One of the one of the recent books that I found very helpful about entrepreneurship is is this book known as Mindful Entrepreneur, which very good identify almost very closely the challenges that I've faced as an entrepreneur and and being able to and the need to be able to step back and look at the larger picture. I mean, there used to be a line there about working on the business and not in the business itself all the time, right? So being able to step back from the business and look at the larger picture and set in those systems processes so that it, they work without you and you can look at the larger aspect. So some of these have been good, helpful books that, that have impacted me in various stages of my life and journey. Great. Um, that's that's so nice of you to share those. I think my, my last question to you would be that uh, looking back at this, such a huge journey, especially 10 plus years of uh, journey. It's it's quite long. And mm-hmm. when you look back at it, is there any one decision you can think of that you regretted and felt like you haven't, should have, shouldn't have made and would have been great if that decision wasn't made? Um, not regret, but uh, perhaps if I were to reflect, if I had the wisdom of now to go back and relive my life, I would have probably not taken a lot of things as seriously then I would have probably tried to make most of maybe so at MIT for example we had this or even before MIT at IT we had this very strong uh, network of people I probably would have leveraged and involved myself into a lot more activities than pure academics or even at MIT there was a strong exposure to people from different cultures different ideas uh, perhaps a lot more uh, involved and gotten a lot more exposed there possibly and and uh, these are opportunities that you don't have I, I have lifelong, right? So perhaps, yeah, maybe uh, instead of taking myself very seriously or taking my goals, aspirations as seriously back in those days, back in, say, uh, in, 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 in teens and, and, and early 20s, I would have gotten, leveraged the opportunity of being in those institutions and, and, and availed a lot more exposure or with, with the world of ideas with, the, with people from different locations itself. Awesome. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that, Arvind, and thank you for coming on the show. I'm so happy you shared all these insights from your journey. Same and same all, the, all the very best for the Series A uh, and sure. all, the, all the things you have planned for Wishbook in the future. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.